Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where those who think outside the box can create unique football bets from a combination of markets. Create your best bet with the innovative BetVictor Bet Builder. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hello and welcome to VAR at the Bar episode 12. Uh, I'm Ant, I'm hosting today, I'm joined with the usual suspects. Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Chris. So it looks like we're going to be uh, stuck doing this remotely for a while. We must have to start thinking about changing our name. <laughs> <laughs> VAR on the couch. That could be it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's very uh, accurate, yeah. How <laughs> <laughs> you all been anyway? Enjoying the uh, the new rules in place? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Changing by the minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be in full lockdown soon at this rate. But, no doubt. Just got to get our heads down, get on with it, haven't we? Indeed. On a footballing sense, it's a shame they can't get any fans in at the moment, but obviously health before wealth, as they say. Yeah. This is on the telly for now. Yeah. Right, so fun action packed lineup tonight. Uh I thought we'd start with the top five opening games of Premiership season, followed by my good, the bad, the obscure. And then I thought we'd do the top ten the harshest sackings in the Premiership. Oh sorry, English football, sorry. Uh harshest, shocking, surprising, however you wanna define it. And then, Chris, I presume you've got a warm-up watch and some socials for us? Uh, yes, yes, I've got, I've got a bit. And then I've got quite a hard quiz for you to test your brain cells at the end. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for question one, Stanley Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> right, one nil, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I should give the answer to Stanley Matthews and you've got to pick which question it is. <laughs> that would be a hard question. <laughs> so, how have you found the lists this week? Very interesting, I'll be honest. Um, the, the, it was quite hard to find um, the f- interesting first games, um, entertaining first games. And with the sackings, I found that there's always a backstory afterwards that lasts 
it comes into play about two months after the actual sackings happened. So there probably will be a couple on my list that I'm using as um, more harsh at the time. But then when other evidence has come in, is a bit more um, of a sensible decision being made by management, maybe. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's kind of how I've looked at it. Yeah, I've not I've not looked at it um, in too much detail. I've not um, I've not digged under the surface too much. I've just uh, found a, a few funny ones, uh, some variety of reasons for people that got sacked, and yeah, it should be interesting, hopefully. Okay, uh, right. Let's start with the top five games then. Um, Dan, what have you got in number five for us? Uh, I've gone for Wigan nil, Blackpool four. So, um, Blackpool making their debut in the Premier League. Well, I think they were, the season before they were favourites to get relegated from the Championship, and then to everyone's surprise, they made the playoffs and they won. They didn't have much money to spend in the Premier League. They were heavily unfancied. They were a very unfashionable team, and then for the opening game to go and win away four nil, it was a pretty shocking, but also it's a pretty exciting result. I think we all got a flavour there for how attacking Blackpool were going to play over the season. They weren't going to be tentative and defensive. They were going to go for the jugular every game. And yeah, 4-0 on the opening day. That was a good shout. It was, uh, it was considered by me. Yeah, I saw that and it was considered. Come on, Chris. My, my, my one is Arsenal nil, West Ham 2. That was in 2015. Um, obviously, at that point, Arsenal were still very much sort of top five, top four. West Ham were going through a transition stage. I think they brought in Port Pie um, that season and um, had a forward line, I think, of Zarate and Sacco. Um, but this was a sort of a, a standard game, I think, they probably a lot of Arsenal fans could probably spend a lot of time sort of getting upset about where they dominated possession. They had 22 shots to West Ham paint. And um, yeah, so basically the first goal was a free kick by Pae that was headed in by Piate. And um, then they got a second goal shortly into the second half via um, Zarate who um, took, um, basically tackled Oxlade-Chamberlain in his own box. Turn, first time it turned and shoot, bottom corner. Uh, Arsenal dominated that game, had about nine or ten clear-cut chances, didn't take it. And it was also a debut. I think he got man of the match for a young Reese Oxford. 16 at the time, I think he was centre-back or defensive mid. And obviously, he's touted as the next best thing, big thing, but never quite ended up being so by the looks of things. Yeah, what happened to him? Yeah, he went on loan, I think, to Germany, but then he's just sort of disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Arsenal don't normally start the season very well anyway, do they? I was thinking that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Especially at home. (laughs) <laughs> uh, okay, so I've gone for the entertainment value of Middlesbrough 3, Liverpool 3. I don't know if yeah. it features anywhere. 
Um, not on mine, but it was considered. No, I've not gone for that one. I've already, I've already got five to pick. So. Well, that's <laughs> true, yeah. Same. <laughs> so, having spent a record sum during the summer on Janino, Emerson, Ravinelli, um, it was essential that Brian Robson had to get off to a good start. Um, and obviously, the first opponents were Liverpool at the Riverside. And the Reds finished third the previous season, and they were looking to carry on their momentum. Uh, Stiggin Bjornaby, do you remember him? He yeah. popped up with an early goal. In fact, it was his first ever goal for the club. Uh, that was cancelled out by Ravinelli, the debut goal, just before the half-hour mark. Um, and then less than two minutes later, John Barnes restored the lead for Liverpool. Within a matter of minutes, Ravinelli got his second. And then... Um, like the second half, it could have gone either way. But Fowler put Liverpool back in the lead in the sixth-fifth minute. He thought that might have been it. He thought then Liverpool might crack on. But Ravinelli showed why Middlesbrough signed him and scored a hat trick. Fifteen scored his third goal for the hat trick. Fifteen minutes later, uh, guaranteed a three-all thriller on the first day of the season. I remember that very uh, up and down game, wasn't it? End to end. I think Middlesbrough surprised a lot of people that that uh, that game. I think that whole season, both those teams, they scored a lot and conceded a lot, didn't they? Yeah. That was the, uh, the Liverpool way back in the 90s. It was certainly <laughs> Middlesbrough's way. Yeah. yeah. That's why they went down. Yeah. Okay, what's that number four then? Number four, I've actually gone back to last season. Uh 2019-2020, Man United 4, Chelsea 0. So this was where, going into the season, both teams were rebuilding, basically. Uh, Lampard just taken over at Chelsea, wasn't allowed to bring any players in, and we knew that it was going to be f- focusing on uh, bringing some of the youth team players through. Uh, Manchester United were having the first pre-season with Oli Solskjaer at the helm. Uh the game finished 4 0. Goals from Rashford. He got a goal at the 18th minute. Got a penalty later in the 67th. Martial, Daniel James got goals for United. But having watched the game, I thought Chelsea were the better team through most of it. And they got sucker punched time and time again. And I felt a bit sorry for Frank Lampard giving his assessment after the game. The goals were too soft, yes. But I thought Man United, they had a bit of luck. They took their chances, which fair play to them. But. Um, we saw how much Man United slid after that game. Uh, Chelsea, they licked their wounds and they came back a bit stronger. Still a bit soft in defence, but um, they did recover from that. And the, both teams obviously qualified for the Champions League in the end. I'll be honest with you, I totally forgot about that game. Uh, I totally forgot about that as well, to be honest. Oh, there you go. For my number four, I'm going with back in 2001. Okay, Leicester City nil, Bolton five. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I I did certainly, <laughs> yeah, think of this game when as soon as I made the announcement, <laughs> but I'm surprisingly I didn't not. Actually come across this game when I was uh, doing my research. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, it was a very interesting start to the season for Leicester. I mean, a similar case what you were saying about Blackpool, Bolton coming up first time, everyone just wrote them off totally. Um I don't think that they didn't really at that time have an incredibly strong strong team um and had unknown players in that at um, the Premier League level. 
but basically they sort of bulldozed Leicester, really. I think it was bad as Leicester played. They probably were about the best um, Bolton were. Um, there were two goals from uh, Kev Nolan on his Premier League debut. Um, the second goal was scored uh, in between his two goals by uh, Michael Ricketts. He actually managed to bundle over the, the central defender of Leicester at the time. I couldn't quite see who it was when I watched the game. Um, and finished with quite good aplomb, to be fair, top corner. And then two free kicks by Per Franson. I mean, if you had him on a fantasy league team, then that would have been quids in that week. <laughs> um, one on 45 and one on 83. Leicester, I think, we were actually 4-0 down at half-time as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's really why I, I put them there. Just a total shock, like done a similar one with the, with the Wigan Blackpool game. Well, it, wasn't, it wasn't a shock to me. That was a very poor Leicester team from the dark days. That was <laughs> like, okay. Five 0 to Bolton was a bit of a shock, but we, we didn't play well, and we we were a bad team that year. Is that the Mickey Adams side? Yeah, where we're just basically signing every single reject from the Premier League that we could find. It, it was dark days, I tell you. <laughs> did you remember it? Did you did you contemplate it at all for your list? I, yeah, I certainly did. It was, it was the first one I thought of. But I just didn't <laughs> want to talk about it for my <laughs> Fair enough. So my number four, I've gone for another three three draw back in nineteen ninety six. You're still with us, Chris, and this is getting a bit rusty now for you, isn't it? <laughs> hey, it's history for me. It's a good history lesson. So I've gone with Derby 3, Leeds 3. Wow, OK. And this time, Derby were the new boys. Uh, Leeds were 2-0 up um, in the 70, 72nd minute. And that looked to be it. But then Derby had other ideas. Dean Sturridge pulled one back in the 77th. And then Paul Simpson... Equalised in the 78th. Leeds sent the lead in the 85th minute, thanks to Lee Bowyer, um, before Sturridge bagged his second in the 88th minute. Um, it just goes to show again, a bit like with Bolton and Blackpool, that Derby weren't going to be any pushovers that season. And I remember they had a really good season that year. They actually finished 12th, yeah. level on point for Leeds. <laughs> so, you know, that was a sign of things to come, really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that's Sounds like a really cracking game, that does. Okay, number three. Uh, it's over to me. Yeah, sorry, Daniel. Sorry, number three. Yeah, sorry, I forgot the order. Okay, number three. I've gone all the way back to the 92-93 season. I've gone for a match between Arsenal and Norwich. <laughs> I've got so... another one. Oh, have you? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you want to talk about it now? Uh, let's sort of save it till, till the end and we'll talk about it then. Both okay. okay. Right then, my number three I'm going for is um, Man United 2, Leicester 2, 1998. So everyone wrote off Leicester for this game at the beginning. At Old Trafford, you know, even back then, very difficult place to go to. Top team and obviously Leicester still finding their feet uh, in the Premier League. Uh, Leicester actually took um, a 2-0 lead. Uh, incredible, 
looking at the first goal we scored in the seventh minute, I don't know how, but if you look, ever watch the highlights, just look at how brilliantly Muzzy Izzet kept the ball in and the byline to get that cross in for Heskey. I don't know how he managed it. He sort of got fouled about twice, stumbled and still managed to kick it in, get it into the box. Um, they doubled it, doubled their lead on 72 minutes after a savage cross for Tony Cotty. He had a, a bit of a thing at that time, didn't he? He was scoring against big clubs. I think he did that at Man U and, and, uh, before and a couple of times at Anfield as well, if I remember rightly. Yeah, a bit of renaissance. Uh, him or Ian Marshall, if I remember rightly. Um. And then uh, the 79th minute, a certain David Beckham took a shot, which was going slightly wide, and um, Sheringham, who was on for a minute, managed to deflect it in to make it 2-1. Then, um, unfortunately, is it then fouled Skulls at free kick um, shooting distance, and Beckham um, then scored, scored the equaliser. And that was, I think, in stoppage time. But I'll put it quite high because it was actually Beckham's first game after the sending off in the World Cup. And I think he sort of proved a lot of people wrong. And it, it probably showed, I know he was at Old Trafford, he's at the home ground with the fans and everything, but he got a real hard time, didn't he, from everybody in the whole country about what happened. And he sort of replied back with doing all the talking on the pitch where I think probably a lot of people probably would have got swallowed up in the atmosphere of it. So that's why I put it quite high. That's really good. Yeah, I completely yeah. forgot about that. But yeah, that was the, the the start of the the making of him, really, wasn't it? Where he became that leader on the pitch. He ended up being England captain, didn't he? Um, so my number three, I've gone with Sheffield Wednesday 3, Tottenham 4, 1994. Oof. I've gone back a bit with these. <laughs> gone yeah. entertainment value. So uh, I've picked this one because it, it, was, it was a game changer in, in a lot of ways. And um, it was just after the World Cup '94, and Spurs sort of became the first team to bring in sort of well-known, established foreigners, if you like, like Klinsmann and Dimitrescu and uh, Popescu. Do you remember him? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Popescu didn't actually play that game. Um, but then also Dan Petrescu was playing for Sheffield Wednesday in that game. He was another uh, star of the 94 World Cup. And Spurs went 2 0 up through Sheringham and Anderton. And it was immediately obvious that Sheringham and Glinsman just, just clicked straight away. Uh, and then Petrescu and a Cordwood own goal levelled it. Barnby put them back in the lead 3 2 for Klinsman, who had taken so much stick throughout the game from the rival fans for his diving antics, popped up with a header. And, uh, well, we all know what he did after that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then David Hurstpool went back with an absolutely stunning volley. It was just an all-round entertaining game. Like I said, it was sort of the first game that really showcased a lot of established foreign players in the Premiership. That's a good pick, that is. I like that. I totally forgot that was the reason why Klinsman did the dive. Because of what yeah. the fans were doing. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Right, number two then, Dan. 
Right. So this is where we get a bit of revenge, Chris. Very <laughs> <laughs> much the 2012-2013 season. West Brom 3, Liverpool 0. What is that? A bit of backstory to this game as well. This was the first game in charge for Brendan Rodgers as Liverpool manager. <laughs> and um, prior to that, uh, part of the backroom staff at Liverpool had uh, the number two as uh, Steve Clark, who had to leave when Rodgers came in and brought his own team in. Steve Clark ended up being the manager of West Brom. Yes, I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I do. So... Yeah, a bit of, bit of an incentive there to do well against his former employer. Um, <laughs> Zoltan Gira helped the Baggies take the lead after 43 minutes. And Daniel Agger got himself sent off on the 58-minute mark. Peter Odenwingi converted a penalty after 64 minutes. And a little-known Romelu Lukaku got a third for West Brom in the 77th minute. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, Brendan Rodgers... Um, Looked a bit foolish after that, after that debut performance, but uh, he did praise the way that Liverpool kept the ball. Oh, show, show great character, no doubt. <laughs> and the <laughs> penalty was very, very harsh. Ah, oh, and Agus, I guess Agus sending off was very harsh as well. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Uh, I think he did redeem himself in the next game. I think Liverpool drew two all, and he introduced Raheem Sterling into the mix against Man City. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rogers certainly had his moments, didn't he? So yeah. he, he definitely redeemed himself. Well, I remember I was very sceptical of Rogers when we appointed him, but he sort of won me over in pre-season. And then that opening game, I was like, "Oh dear, it's going to be yeah. a long season." <laughs> wasn't it? Wasn't it also the time when that Channel Five documentary? Yeah, came out? yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I know he was a bit David Brentish, but I thought, Do you know, what? He, he does come across slightly well in this. And then, <laughs> It, uh, did that result? Oh dear. <laughs> Go on, then, Chris. Right then, um, I'm going with sticking with Liverpool. Um, their three-all draw with Watford, 2017, Mo Salah's debut. I remember actually watching this at a pub. <laughs> uh, it was a very end-to-end game. Uh, Watford took the lead off a corner after eight minutes. And Mane equalised with a 1-2 with um, Emery Shan. Um, then Decore um, scored to make it 2-1 after a bit of a defensive muddle by Liverpool. Um, then a penalty, which was converted by Flaminio after uh, keeper Gonzalez fouled Salah. And then he went, we went 3-2 up. Um, that that was um, through a Firmino chip that I think was going in, but then Salah did, just decided just to make sure of it by booting it in on the volley near the line, which was obviously his first Liverpool goal. Then in the last minute, the best ever goal mouth scramble you'd ever see, if you remember it. The ball was going everywhere. I think it hit Mignolet onto the bar and then bounced to Britos. He was literally on the line, who then just slammed it in to equalise. Um, like I mentioned, it was Salah's debut. And to be honest, it was a great advert for, for football. It was a 50-50 match, end-to-end, um, same amount of shots on target to off target. 
and I think it's a great advert for, for English football. Fair enough. Yeah, it sounds thoroughly entertaining. I don't remember the game, but yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing the highlights of it. I think all I remember is the goal mouth scramble. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty comical. <laughs> it's like watching uh, When Saturday Comes with Sean Bean. <laughs> Similar. <laughs> um, so my number two is... I th- I, I'm, this might be possibly higher on your list. I don't know. I've gone for Everton 1, Arsenal 6. 2009. No, I didn't spot that one. So Everton had finished fifth the previous season. Um, I, I haven't actually wrote much about this. Um, there's not really much to say, to be honest. Um, and only a few points behind Arsenal that season. But then Arsenal came out the blocks uh, at the start of the following season. And goals from Denilson, Vermaelen, Gallas, two from Fabregas... One from Eduardo uh, put Arsenal 6 0 up uh, before Louis Saha put away a consolation penalty right at the death. And I remember watching this down the pub, and Arsenal just absolutely blew them away. You know, Everton can have no excuses. They were, they were awful. They just got knocked out of the Champions League in the qualifying matches. Yeah, well, I think, think, the game before. I think yeah. it was a, turning into a bit of a nightmare beginning and expecting big things, and it just blew up a bit. Before the season even started. <laughs> hmm. So yeah, right. So Dan, you've got Arsenal. No, uh, what's your number one? Sorry. Yeah, I've talked about this yet. My number one. I've gone for again for the 2012-2013 season. QPR nil Swansea five. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. So this game, it was um, Loudrup's first game in charge for Swansea, and they they played some pretty nice continental style football but the reason i've gone for this is because qpr they they had a huge amount of investment in the summer they brought mark hughes in as manager i'm going to read you a list of players that they signed that pre-season robert green julio cesar jisun park junior hoylet jose basingua esteban granero from real madrid for nine million stefan Mbia, loic remy andy johnson Christopher Samba, Ryan Nelson, Jermaine Genus, Fabio, Andros Townsend. Not many then. <laughs> well, so, that's your problem right there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was, but at the time, ev- everyone was quite excited that QPR were going places. They had huge investment, huge ambition, and then they had a home game against Swansea who had lost their manager. And then they lost 5-0. <laughs> I, uh, I really didn't see that one coming at the time. So uh, that one always stands out for me. So, uh, goals that from... the, um, was that the first game of Michu? Yeah, as I was about to say, Michu, he yeah. got a couple of goals. Uh, and then Nathan Dye got a couple of goals. And Scott Sinclair as well. Yeah, I, I do remember that game. But I actually forgotten that when I was doing this list. <laughs> uh, that's a good pick. Come on, Chris, who's at number one? My number one is Aston Villa 4, Man City 2, 2008. Um, basically, this was the, the perfect hat-trick by Gabby Ongahor. Um, he first goal was actually scored by Caru. There was actually no goals in the first half. Then an Alano penalty made it one up, one all. Then he got his three goals 
in a matter of seven minutes to then make it obviously 4 1. Um, and then there's a tap in by Carl Luca to make, make it 4 2. Um, like I said, the reason I put it number one was the perfect hat trick by Gabriel Abbonahor. And also, this was the last game before some certain new owners came to Man City and radically changed changed them. Um, and I just thought it was quite an interesting thing that their last, the last game was a bit of a thumping at Villa Park in the opening day of the season. So that's why I put that as number one. And also that Villa were very good back then as well. They had a lot of very good players and I think um, they were playing in Europe on the Wednesday before to then come and then play on the Saturday or Sunday. Pretty impressive job to do that, to be honest. Yeah, that sounds like a great game. And also, just for this perfect hat-trick alone, that's pretty special on the opening day, isn't it? I can't say I remember it, to be honest. No, I just remember, look, on my research, I just remember seeing it. And then and then it's mainly as well because of it being Man City's last game before the the influx of money that they had, which I just thought was an interesting change. Was that following on from the, the season prior when Man City lost 8-1 to Middlesbrough in the final day of the season? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at them now, eh? Yeah, I know. Shame, isn't it? <laughs> just, just going back to your, just going back to your Liverpool Watford, Chris. Um, which yeah. is a good pick, but I didn't say anything at the time because I didn't know what number one was. I was surprised you didn't go Arsenal Liverpool five four. Totally forgot. <laughs> well, another I'm one that's four three. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I was yeah four, the four three, three. Four, four three. It was the four yeah. three. You mean uh, Mane's debut? I yeah, thought someone yeah. else was yeah. going to go with that one, so I sort yeah, of left that enough. one. No, fair <laughs> enough. I was just, just curious. Yeah. So yeah, my number one uh, and Dan's number three is Arsenal two Norwich four in nineteen ninety two. Norwich finished the previous season eighteenth. Arsenal finished fourth. Um, Arsenal took the lead through Steve Bold and then Kevin Campbell. Um, what's What's interesting, I don't know if you noticed, if, if you noticed this, Dan, but I think Highbury must have been having some work done that day. And the end that Norwich, that <laughs> Norwich was shooting at the first half is just a painted mural of fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't notice. <laughs> um, so then come the second half, with 21 minutes to go, uh, Mark Robbins and David Phillips score to equalise, and then Norwich took the lead through Raw Fox. And then Mark Robbins got his second when Tony Adams did his best Stephen Gerrard impression and slipped. Um, and Robbins was clean through, and he, he still managed to chip Seaman from about 30 odd yards. It was, it was a great game, and um, it, it was just that Norwich finished third that season, I think, on the top of the table till about Christmas. Even as late as April, they were one point off the top. Yeah. And they still managed managed to finish with a negative goal difference at the end of the season. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take some of them in. But yeah, you you didn't say it explicitly, but um, that Norwich comeback, they got all four goals in the space of 15 minutes. Yeah, it's it's pretty epic in terms of an opening day spectacle. 
Arsenal obviously got put off by the uh, the painted mural in the second half and stopped scoring. <laughs> but yeah, Arsenal did. Uh, they won both the cups that season. Yeah, that's right. But they finished tenth. <laughs> <laughs> Just add that bit on the end. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good list. Good picks. Some that I'd uh, actually forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Even the cheers of the fans on the painted mural were stifled at Highbury when Arsenal's bold start to the season turned to dust. Winterburn's free kick headed in by Steve Bold in the 27th minute. Kevin Campbell added a second before half-time, but the scoreline was to prove as big an illusion as the cardboard supporters. Surely Norwich manager Mike Walker was joking when he sent on Mark Robbins with instructions to get two goals. But the player, dwarfed by defenders, headed the first within ten minutes. David Seaman's misjudgment let in David Phillips three minutes later, and suddenly Norwich were turning cartwheels. Arsenal's confidence was visibly ebbing away when Rule Fox was allowed to run into the area and flip the ball under Seaman. And the Highbury nightmare still had one more cruel twist. An unfortunate slip by defender Tony Adams, allowing the new boy Robbins to show the speed of thought and instinct for goal that is the hallmark of all great goal scorers. Okay, so moving on to Good, the Bad, the Obscure this week. I've gone all the way back to 1995 and Manchester United were interested in uh, a young York goalkeeper by the name of Nick Colkin. So they ended up playing York in the League Cup and York beat them. And the morning after Nick Colkin was summoned into the York York manager's office and was told the man United wanted to buy him. And he said, well, what if I don't want to go? He said, well, tough because we need the money. <laughs> um, so off he went. Off he went. Off he went to Manchester United. Uh, he worked his way up the ranks at United and was third choice goalkeeper come the treble season. Um, after that, a certain well known Danish keeper left Manchester United. And even though United signed Mark Bosnich, uh, he was deemed unfit to play at first. So Colkin started at number two behind Raymond van der Gaal. Four games into the season, United are winning at Highbury 2 1. Dying seconds, Arsenal launched a free kick into the box and Martin Keown comes flying in and knees Van der Gaal in the face. Now, his, his eye swells up like a, like a uh, beach ball and on comes Nick Culkin, pumped and ready for his league debut, thinking he's got a few minutes under his belt. Goes onto the pitch, takes the free kick and the ref blows the whistle. He was on the pitch for about 30 seconds and he played about two seconds of football. Um, that's it. That's all he's ever played in the Premiership. <laughs> Okay. He he holds the record for I, I think um it might have changed I don't think it's changed but he holds the record for the shortest playing time in the Premiership. But but best of all this isn't over yet. Best of all he was still able to claim his clean sheet bonus of 500 pounds because he'd actually technically kept one. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, it's still not quite finished because uh, shortly after Manchester United signed Massimo Taibbi and we all know how that turned out. <laughs> so Colkin moved on to Pastures New. Um, he ended up at QPR, and he was forced to retire in 2005 due to a knee injury, and he set up a gardening business. 
However, in 2010, he came out of retirement and signed for Radcliffe Borough and made it into the league's team of the year. They're like way, way down the football pyramid. Um, he had a brief stint at Prescott Cables FC before he set another record in 2014 by signing for FC United, becoming the only player to play for FC in Manchester United. Again, that might have changed slightly. I don't know. I'm not actually double check that. But he was certainly the first player to play for both. I think he is still the only one. So there we have it. The story of Nick Culkin. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is certainly obscure. <laughs> <laughs> that is. I'll, I'll easily put that in our top two um, obscures. I'd put it top, to be honest. <laughs> that was out there. That was really good. Enjoyed that. That was a good bit of research. <laughs> I found it a few weeks ago. I can't remember what I was looking at, and I thought I'll save that for the bad obscure. What a story we've got here! Because with Mark Bosnich out injured, Manchester United have now lost their number two goalkeeper, Raymond Van der Howe, and Nicky Culkin, who's only 20 and who has never played in a first-team match. He's played in a couple of pre-season friendlies and the like, but he's never played in a competitive fixture for Manchester United. comes on for what I think might be the shortest debut in history, because I would strongly believe that the referee will blow the whistle here. Well, of course, there'll be some time to be added for this stoppage to Van der Hoe. Clearly, he's got a pretty horrible knock in the face there. But there can only be three or four seconds to go so here's Colkin's first kick in Premiership football and there is the whistle as I expected that is the briefest debut in history Colkin's come on kicked the ball once the final whistle's blown final score in the biggest game of the season so far in the English Premiership Arsenal 1 Manchester United 2 Okay, so let's move on to the top 10 harshest, most shocking sackings of the Premier of uh, English football. Uh, I'm going to start with Chris this time. Oh, okay. I'm go- my number 10 is Gus Poyet at Brighton, Home Albion. <laughs> Has anyone got this one? No, you wasn't. That's my number one. <laughs> 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 I'll I'll do my bit and then you add on, yeah. Yeah, go on. Because <laughs> um, I I can only assume that with it being number one for you, you might have a little bit more than I have. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> um, he was made manager in November two thousand nine um, with a very st- badly struggling Brighton team that were in a relegation battle in League One. Obviously, he managed to keep them up. Then the following season got them promoted to the championship. Uh, so first season there, um, he then got them sort of into mid mid table obscurity. Then they still sort of started to push forward them uh, by making some quite big big name signings for for players back then, um, and managed to then get um, into the playoff semi finals. So now going. Fast forwarding to 2013, suddenly um, Poirier was suspended in March of that year and was actually sat on live TV in the beat on uh, the Confederations Cup where he was being a pundit for them. Um, however, it's then come to light that possibly he knew already but played slightly to the cameras for effect. 
there's a lot of talk at that time that the reason he was suspended was that he was talking to other clubs, um, especially Reading at the time. Um, unfortunately, um, they got when they got to the playoff semi-final, he they actually lost them to Ian Holloway's unfancied Crystal Palace team, and um, that really capped on why he he then got sacked. I think he became a very hard manager to manage um, for the for the board. I think there was quite a lot of dramas with the way he spoke to the press after matches. Got anything else to add there, Dan? Yeah, quite a lot, actually. Um, good, good. Basically, it just contradicts everything you've just said. Oh, OK. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Like a nice contradiction. So um, I've got... I've got um, Although to be fair, this this is mostly quotes from Gus Poirier himself, so maybe right. maybe it's not a balanced view. But anyway, uh, from Gus Poirier said, "In my opinion, the club thought I had too much power. I didn't ask for it, but slowly they were giving it to me, and I took it because of my character." Inside the boardroom, things, however, were changing, especially as new people came in and not liking someone else in the club with such power. Uh, and move on to the next quote. He said, a month and a half before the end of the season, Reading came in for me. The board agreed compensation. As a manager, how do you take that? You're the manager of a club in the top six of the championship with a month and a half of the season to go, and your club agrees for compensation so that you can go and join another club. I think that's a bit out of order, and he's got a good point there. There was clearly something in the works to get rid of him, if that's true. And You mentioned the, uh, the playoff semi-final. And interesting point uh, with this one is that after the semi-final defeat to Palace, their biggest rivals as well, after their defeat to Palace in the semi-finals, rather than come on TV and interview and show some remorse and regret to the fans and some sorry for the loss, he used that post-game interview to complain about the lack of money being spent on the team and that there's a glass ceiling at Brighton between Brighton and the, and the Premier League. And he said that um, when, in actual fact, they bought Craig McHale Smith for two point five million, and that two point five million was worth more than the entire Crystal Palace team. That so, was one of only one of many signings he made during that season. Uh, is, yeah. it, is it that much of a shock then that he got sacked because he's moaning about? I I think it's the way it was done, though. I think because of the whole Confederations Cup thing. Because if you see the clip, there he is on the panel. And then the presenter goes, oh, by the way, Gus, we hear that you've now been basically sacked. And he puts on a sort of like a shocked face. And the, the statement was released by Brighton while he was on the air. He was on the, he was actually on, yeah, it, I mean, it happened during that to time. To me, that, Matt, that's bang out of order. You, don't, you just don't do it like that. <laughs> that's that's yeah, incredibly I mean, yeah, harsh. It's harsh in that way. I, 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 I However, there has been. I, I left him off because it wasn't really a shock that he got sacked. The shock for me was that how they sacked him. Well, I think that it is a shock how they sacked him, but also he got Brighton into the playoffs. He didn't the playoff semi final. He didn't have a bad season by any stretch. But I, I just thought that someone was there was a conspiracy to get him out of the club, and then the way they did it as well. I, I just thought all of it was incredibly harsh. There was that whole thing about who on the Palace changing room wall or something, wasn't there? Yeah. He sent an email. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't about... going to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to mention Poo Gate, but yeah. 
I still, I still don't fully really understand that. But so called, he put off the fun his players, didn't it? Or some of them booed at the end. Left a bad taste in the mouth. Oh. Literally. All right. <laughs> 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 I'll um, I'll go next. Um, Compose yourself, Ant. Yeah. I've gone with Harry Redknapp at Spurs. So um, he took over in 2008 with Spurs rooted to the bottom of the Premiership, having just taken two points from eight games. Uh, His first two weeks in charge, he managed 10 points out of 12, beating Liverpool, Bolton, Man City and drawing with Arsenal. Um, He then led them to a League Cup final in his first season, which lost some penalties. And they finished eighth from 51 points. Uh, in his first full season in charge, he finished fourth on 70 points and qualified for the Champions League and won Manager of the Year, becoming only the second manager to do so that hadn't won the title. The following season, he finished fifth but took Spurs to the Champions League quarterfinals. And then in his final season, he led them to fourth, again, missing out on the Champions League because Chelsea won it. And then he was sacked. And apparently there's never been an explanation as to why. And I, I just think it was a bit harsh because he took Tottenham from literally rock bottom, took them all the way back up to consistently being fourth. And then they've decided to get rid of him. Wasn't that the time when he was being heavily touted to be England manager? Yeah. Am I right that he had an interview in Tottenham? He sacked for it. No, but I'm just saying maybe that his head was turned and that there was might be a bit, a bit in it. Maybe, but he still managed to get Tottenham to fourth. Not as if they suddenly went on a free fall. Yeah, true. It always seemed very harsh to me. I still don't really know why they sacked him. He doesn't seem to know why they sacked him. (laughs) Okay, Dan, what's your number 10? I went for Frank de Boer at Crystal Palace in 2017. Oh, God, that tenure. Yeah, so he managed to last a whole four games at Crystal Palace. to stamp his mark on the club. Um, he was brought in to try and bring a more continental footballing style to Crystal Palace. And um, where this all fell down is that he didn't have the players to do it um, at all. So Crystal Palace, they lost on the opening day 3-0 at home to Huddersfield. Then they lost 1-0 at Anfield, 2-0 at home to Swansea, and then 1-0 away at Burnley. And uh, the board had had enough at that point. They thought they weren't going to get anything out of De Boer as manager of that team and they eventually turned to Roy Hodgson uh, despite that disastrous start Hodgson steered them to 11th in the end of that season I mean it's the, it's the no goal scored though isn't it that, that's the that worry was yeah. that was the really worry. yeah I mean, I, mean I, I can see why they've pulled the trigger if, the, if they're going to be yeah. that worried about them not scoring any goals and not seeing where the next goal is coming from but still, I, mean, I think I, it's a bit harsh to be sacked after four games. I remember the game against Huddersfield just vaguely, and they absolutely dominated Huddersfield, Palace did. But they got, like we were talking about the opening game, they just got done on the counter-attack yeah. in that game. I think he was very unlucky, and to be sacked after four games is pretty bad, isn't it? It's unheard of, really, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's a good pick. I, I did consider it. It was, it was on my shortlist. I can kind of see where Dan's list is going. <laughs> no, it's not a bad thing. No, no, I like, I like we, it. We've all interpreted it perhaps a little bit differently. I don't know. It's going to be totally opposite to mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping my next one will be Dan's second. 
<laughs> yeah, just count up to ten. Yeah, <laughs> go on, then, Chris. What's your, what's your number nine? Okay, mine, mine actually is Scolari at Chelsea, one of many managers at Chelsea, and during those yeah, times, which I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah, so he took over first of Jan uh, 2008, lasted there for seven months. Uh, managed 36 games, 120, five lost and 11 drawn. Uh, at the beginning of his tenure, he was uh, had a great start, uh, going 12 games without defeat. Um, but in his final nine games, only winning three. And his last game was a nil-nil draw at home to, to Hull. I think there was a, the problem that he had, um, mainly at Chelsea, was that eight players left. And they only bought in Deco. He was looking at Rubinho as well, but I don't think they they quite had the funds or there was a break in negotiations, so they couldn't get him. Uh, and also his form against the top six was pretty poor that season as well. I think his best result was a draw. I think that was against Arsenal. And when he got sacked, he was fourth at the time. And I just think it was pretty... Pretty harsh. I mean, I know that Chelsea were a bit of a conveyor belt and wanted only the best. He's a World Cup winner, obviously with Brazil, and it was only his second time he'd been sacked in 26 years of manager of being a manager. And I just thought it was a little bit of a harsh sacking, really. Just could have given her a bit, bit more longer. They were going through a bad run. Every team goes through that. I think possibly that there could have been an end in sight with 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 that. Um, that's why I put him at number nine. Most of Chelsea's seconds are to be half. Are harsh, to be fair. Yeah, yeah no doubt there'd be more added onto the list. <laughs> uh, so my number nine, I've gone with, which I'd imagine is going to be on Downs list somewhere. Leroy Rosinho at Torquay. Yes, that's my number four. <laughs> okay, I looked at that. I haven't got much to say, so I'll just quickly say it, and then you can talk about it number four if you want that. Well, there's not much to say. <laughs> no. Um, so he was appointed by Torquay in 2007, um, only for 10 minutes later to find out that the club had sold its 50, uh, the club owner had sold its 51 percent stake to a new owner, <laughs> and the incoming consortium wanted a new man. So um, the sooner he said hello, he was then ushered out the back door with the P45. Oh my god! And that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. The um, yeah, the new the new owners that just bought the club didn't want him. So, even though he'd just been told ten minutes ago he's got the job, they had another manager in mind. So he had I think to. He found out during the press conference as well, didn't he? Oh, I didn't know that, but might have gone higher on my list. Wow, <laughs> that poor Zoko's is um issued to shame, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome to the club. Thanks for your time. Off you go. <laughs> yeah, incredibly harsh. Okay, uh, you're number nine, Dan. My number nine is Plymouth Argyle manager Carl Fletcher. This is going back to 2013. So he was uh, sacked after a 2-1 defeat in League Two at Bristol Rovers on New Year's Day in 2013. And straight after the game, he was told by the owner that they had to move on, get someone else in charge. Uh, But Following this, he still had to give his post-match press conference or a post-match interview. I know this one now. So, poor Carl Fletcher has wheeled it out and um, he said, 
Brent's just done it. That's my last game today. So that's got me the sack. And then he, he started to have tears coming down his face saying, I'd be rather one of those people that tries and fails rather than doesn't try at all. So I just felt really sorry for him. It's a, a really harsh way for it to have panned out. Yeah, it sounds like a horrible way, especially if you're having to do the press conference afterwards. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, that's just even worse, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, Chris, number eight. Right then, here we go. This is going to be an interesting one for you. Hold your horses, guys. Wild card. Uh, Well, wild might come into it. (laughs) I'm going to put this one in there because it's just... Obviously, we know the repercussions from it, but Malky Mackay at Cardiff. I'm saying purely at the time before everything else came out. So this is the area that I'm going on. I forgot about that. Jeez. (laughs) Careful what you say, Chris. Yeah, I know. know. (laughs) Okay, so this is where I'm going to cut it quite short. (laughs) Right, so he's in charge for a year and a half. He uh, took, took over in June 2011, was sacked in December the following year. Um, his record was basically a 43% win rate. He got sacked following a 3-0 defeat against Southampton. At that point, Cardiff was still above relegation by a point. The season didn't particularly start too well for him um, due to his be- one of his best mates and people that I think that he had um, continually when he was in managing other clubs. Uh, the head of recruitment, uh, Ian Moody, was actually sacked and was replaced by the chairman's son's best mate. I guess that sort of set the stall out to how the season was going to be. And then Chairman Tan and uh, Malky Mackay had a bit of a public spat December 16th of that season, resulting in Tan asking Mackay to resign because of his overspending that he did. Uh, This was refused, obviously. Um, so after that that game against Southampton, he was then fired. At that time, I thought it was a bit of a shock because Cardiff was still not in relegation at the time. But obviously, with the internal politics that were going on, which were led to find out that things were were done um, by Mackay, which were as an impro- inappropriate behaviour, and that was what was then found out sort of months later. And guess who was replaced by? Can you remember? At Cardiff? Solskjaer. Correct. Yeah. Well done there, Dan. And obviously, unfortunately, Cardiff got um, got relegated that season. I don't want to say too much along that, that thing because I think it's still probably ongoing. On things on paper, I just thought it was quite a harsh sacking at the time without knowing other bits to it. I don't know, sacking him for a manager that's gone on to manage Manchester United is probably a hindsight's marvellous thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every cloud, I guess. Yeah. OK, um, moving swiftly on. Increasing <laughs> benefit. Uh, my number eight, I've got Nigel Adkins at Southampton. So he, he took them up from League One all the way to the Premiership, playing this great attacking open football. Um, first season in the Premiership, many... Thought his approach was a bit naive, um, and it probably was because Southampton shipped something like 28 goals in the first 10 matches, losing eight of them. Um, however, Adkins addressed this, and the situation changed dramatically because they 
went to concede in only one goal a game and picked up 18 points, including coming back from 2-0 down at Stanford Bridge to get a draw. He was then sacked and replaced by a certain Mauricio Potticino, who, OK, was vaguely well-known, but it was still a bit of a shock that this foreign manager that's never managed in English football is going to replace him. Um, yeah, I just thought at that time, I thought that was a massive a massive shock. I thought it was unjustified, really. Yeah, totally. Um, in those games, um, he had a run of two defeats in 12 going into that as well. Yeah. Um, and they were still fit. you got to look at things as, as they stood at the time. And they were still 15, three points clear of the bottom. I, I mean, they were still, well, not comfortable, but they were obviously on a good, good end of form coming from 2-0 down. On Stamford Bridge, not many people do that. Like you said, you know, he, he brought them up on back-to-back championships as well. And yeah. I thought it was a pretty harsh way to go. And he had a win rate of 54% as well of his time there. And he managed over 100 games. Yeah, it's harsh. He deserved better, didn't he? Um, so successful yeah. in a short space of time. Okay, so that was number... Uh, Dan, what's your number eight? Right, my number eight, I've gone for Brian Gunn. So uh, Norwich, they were in a, a bit of trouble in the um, 2008-2009 season and they brought Brian Gunn as a caretaker manager in January. Uh, he, he couldn't steer the ship uh, to keep them in the league, but uh, he did a decent job, uh, even though they got relegated to League One. There were a lot of problems at the club at the time. But then they began rebuilding and uh, they gave Gunn the job. He brought some players into the club, and uh, they prepared for the League One season. Opening day of the season, they had a home match against Colchester United, which they unfortunately lost 7-1. Oh, yeah. uh, the next game was a League Cup match against Yeovil, which they won 4-0. And the uh, player that Brian Gunn signed, Grant Holt, scored a hat-trick in that game. And then on the 14th of August, he was sacked two games into the season. Replaced by the manager of Colchester, if I remember rightly. Uh, yes, Paul Lambert, yeah. who um, he took Norwich to be the champions of League One that year with Grant Holt as the top goalscorer, the player that Brian Gunn signed. And when oh. he was sacked, um, the chief executive, David McNally, said, Brian Gunn has worked tireless, tirelessly for this football club for more than two decades. However, the board met following Saturday's unacceptable record home defeat in the opening season, and we made our decision. So just no time, no loyalty. I think that's incredibly harsh for someone that's given so much to that football club. Yes, that's yeah. a good one, though. I completely forgot about him. All right, then, Chris. Who's your number right. seven? Keeping with the Welsh theme, we're going with Mr. Loudrop, Swansea. Yeah, he joined in uh, Swansea in June 2012 and was sacked in February 2014. Um Sacked after losing 2-0 against West Ham. Um, that was their sixth, sixth defeat in eight games, left them two points away from the relegation zone. But amazingly, that, that was still 12th place in the league. So it just shows how tight it was. Previous season, he won the League Cup, which was obviously a great achievement for them. So they had Europe. Um, but I seem to think that they probably suffered a little bit of a, a hangover in that time. But... In that time, though, they did beat Valencia 3-0 in the, in the Europa League. 
Yeah, away from home, I think, as well. He was indeed, yeah. Um, but they lost Michu um, for that season. After, like we know from our one-hit wonders, he then went off to Napoli. And I don't think they quite managed to replace him with the same quality strikers. They had David Engog there and Marlon Emles. Didn't they have um, Winfried Bonny? He just signed, yeah. And Key, who was their main midfielder, was then loaned out as well um, to, I think it was Sunderland. seems to be that um, there's a lot of criticism with the way he used to do his training, was quite relaxed, not as physical, more on the cardio side. And I don't think a lot of um, probably the board members particularly liked that sort of side and used that as a bit of an excuse to get probably get rid of him. I mean, it wasn't a great, obviously a great record losing six out of eight. But like I said, people, you know, you'd go through little dips in the season. His style of football, it might have been partially caught out a bit, like you were saying, in the, the board type thing. You need the right players. And maybe he was swapping the style. But I still think it was quite a harsh um, sort of sacking for, for what there was really. don't know about what you guys think of that. I remember at the time I thought it was uh, I thought it was harsh. I thought it was silly. I thought that the owners were very naive and they didn't know anything about football. That was my immediate reaction. Yeah, I'm saying Dan. I remember texting my friend who was a Swansea fan, going, What the hell's going on? Why have you got rid of your manager? I mean my personal yeah, sorry, I mean my personal opinion was that they got too greedy. They thought yeah. they were a bigger club than they actually were. That's exactly what was and going I, through my mind, yeah. Um and I just think they just had a bit of a dip. He was good enough for manager, I think, to then pick them back up. Like Dan said rightly, Bonnie was still scoring goals for them. It wasn't like they just dried out of the goals. I just thought it was just altogether really quite a, a harsh, harsh sacking knee jerk, which then obviously led, led into the three four that have gone in and they're still sort of feeling the pain of it now. Really. I think he fell out of the board, didn't he? I think, ultimately. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a bit about money as per transfer money. But yeah. again, you sort of he's won them a cup that you would never have guessed that Swansea would, would be able to get something so quickly into their Premier League uh, tenure. Right then, what have you got there, mate? All right, tin hat time. Hold on. <laughs> Where is it? Let me find it. Um, I've gone with Avram Grant at Chelsea. Ooh. Uh, so he took over from Mourinho, the special one. <laughs> or perhaps we should call him the spatial one after the uh, goalpost fiasco the other day. <laughs> um, and obviously, he was disliked by the fans, he was disliked by the players. But in his first Champions League game of his career, he managed to beat Valencia away 2 1. He then went on a 16 game unbeaten run, beating Man City 6 0 in the process. Uh, so he signed a four year deal um, at the end of 2007. He then lost the League Cup final to Spurs in February and he was knocked out of the FA Cup um, to Barnsley, I think. But then in March, he secured his first win over one of the big boys by beating Arsenal 2-1. And then in April, he beat Manchester United 2-1 to move Chelsea level on points with them at the top of the table with two games to go. They ended up finishing second, same as the season before, but he won the April Manager of the Month. He then bettered Mourinho that month by guiding Chelsea to the Champions League final which they only really lost because John Terry slipped for the penalty 
Uh, and I just don't, I just think, what more could he have done that season? I just thought he, he hadn't done anything wrong, really. And it just seemed, uh, again, typical Chelsea knee-jerk reaction. Oh, we lost some cups. That, let's get rid of him. Yeah. He had a good record, didn't he? Um, he took them to the brink. I think the the big thing about Avram Grant was that he didn't seem to inspire people. No, nah, no, that's true. But then sometimes should that matter? No, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. He wasn't. Van Gaal didn't, didn't um, inspire people, but he did okay at Manchester United. He wasn't training for Chelsea, though, was he? After having the special one like Jose and then someone who's a lot more quite uh, quietly spoken in front of the yeah, uh, it's probably yeah that's the downside it's following someone like Mourinho but... no 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 reason to sack him though totally oh, no okay Dan right I've actually gone north of the border for this one uh, I thought we were doing the British not English so oh sorry yeah that's what it is British sorry I do, yeah <laughs> I do apologise it is British oh thanks this one is actually up at Cowdenbeath, a manager called Peter Cormack, who is a former Liverpool player and title winner. Uh, he was a former manager of the Botswana national team, and he also managed Anorthosis Famagusta, which I, I think is a Cypriot team. Uh, he was uh, brought into Cowdenbeath, and after only 10 days at the club, it uh, come to the attention of the owners that he was causing a bit of unrest amongst the players and trying to change too much in a short space of time. So um, there was a bit of player power involved and then before the owner took action and he summoned Peter Cormack to a burger van near the fourth bridge and then told him that his services would no longer be required. Is this fourth bridge uh, well known then for the sacking of managers? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> but, uh, Peter Cormack, it was, it was at a bit of a. He said, "I was just a, at a bit of a loss as to how they can justify getting rid of me. I've been made to look a fool." <laughs> <laughs> that is pr- that's pretty mad. So he didn't even have a chance to play to be a sorry a manager for any games. He was. Just he, didn't, literally... he didn't take charge of any games. He was tra- he was training them for ten days, and then he was t- summoned to a burger van and told that he was sacked. That's unbelievable. Uh, like <laughs> Going, Chris. What, what have you got? Number six. Top that one. Number six. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is my first uh, <laughs> pick for this guy, um, Nigel Pearson. Okay. So we're talking about his Leicester tenure. Oh, okay. I'm oh, talking oh, about. The second stint, as in on a footballing basis, okay? So that season, obviously, he took up the second stint in 2011, won the championship comfortably, I think, think if I remember, in 2014. Uh, uh, yeah. And unfortunately, got sacked in the 30th of June 2015. He managed to do, as I always class as Mission Impossible, um, at the end of fourteen fifteen season, and they actually finished. Four, they actually did finish fourteenth. Um, those last ten games were seven wins, two losses, one one draw. I have to mention this as well. But he did call a journal uh, a journalist an ostrich regarding an incident with James MacArthur. Can you remember that? Uh, yep. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. Forget. So obviously the lads then went on to. 
they called it as a summer of goodwill tour to Thailand. And that's where it sort of went a little bit wrong, involving, unfortunately, three of the younger players involved here with a Thai lady and some um, offensive comments made. Fortunately, one of those lads was a certain James Pearson, which is Nigel's son. Obviously, with the owners being Thai as well, that caused great offence with what happened. And from my knowledge and what is said openly is that there was, in brackets, a massive differences in perspectives between the owners and Nigel Pearson. That's why he got sacked. I obviously hear other other things that he didn't think it was a a bigger deal, but hey-ho. If you're looking at things on the football side, I think he didn't, you know, he did fantastically well to get them from where they were. I think probably if one of them backed down, that would never have happened. But what happened with the lads shouldn't have happened anyway, and it should have, and they all got sacked, rightly so. Um, so yeah, so I put him quite high because I thought with the with the way that Leicester were playing footballing wise, just steered themselves away from relegation. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that one. If I'm honest, he uh, I thought he earned his sacking. <laughs> <laughs> Three times over. Also, earlier in that season, he um, he got banned for shouting to a fan to fuck off and die. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah wow. it was uh, it was caught on film, and it was uh, presented to the FA, and he served a touchline ban for that. It was just one incident after another. I think um, I think the ostrich thing was not actually related to the James MacArthur incident. That's two separate incidents um, of just him oh, embarrassing himself. The final nail in the coffin, like you say, the um, the uh, the racist uh, gangbang. I think it was was the um, the headline. I mean, the, the the statement from Leicester City said that the relationship had become untenable between yeah. manager and owner, and I think that's spot on. How how can they be expected to work with Pearson after that? Um, so my number six, I've gone with Gary Rowett at Birmingham. He's my number four. Uh, so he, he took over at Birmingham in October 2014, one place above Blackport, bottom of the championship, um, and he guided them to 10th at the end of his first season. And then second season, Birmingham was 7th in December, three points of third, I believe, when yeah. Trillion Trophy Asia took over. And rather than give him some money to push on and get promotion, they gave him his P45 and promptly appointed uh, Gianfranco Zola as boss. Who resigned in April, having won just two out of twenty-four games. So that worked yeah. out well for them. <laughs> and quite frankly, they've never recovered from it because they're no. still down the bottom now. No, obviously that's through financial irregularities with their owners. Well, yeah, there is that as well. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the reason he got sacked was this is as mad as it sounds. Was the brand of football he played? The owners wanted a flair manager and they looked at basically up to stats. And because they weren't there for for flair football or passing the passing move sort of, you know, the Liverpool style or Man City style, glamorous way, the continental way, like Dan said, then they weren't they weren't having it. And because obviously at that time the way Gary Rowett managed with the players he had was quite direct that they just went that way. 
Um, and it worked, obviously, because they were in very near promotion. Um, however, it did come to light that in February uh, in 2017, so this is a whole four, three months afterwards, that Rarock refused a new contract and that Fulham and QPR were looking, um, were sniffing around him and that aggravated the new owners. Well, again, it's all, you've said that four months after it's happened, obviously their decision of getting Zola in has, hasn't worked out. So they're trying to bail themselves out. I think it's just the, the decision of getting Zola in, which it's not as if he's some like great managerial genius. You know what? The reason why, mate, I think it's just because they went, oh, you know what? That guy's a really flair player. We want to have play a flair st- play standard of football where it's creative and expansive. Oh, let's go and get a flair player in to do that. Oh, Zola's free, so we bring it, him in. He'll make so our strikers play like Zola. Exactly. <laughs> Let's make Lukas uh, Jukovic play and like that's Zola. the problem with foreign owners. <laughs> it's not going to happen. No, really <laughs> Dan, your number six, please. Okay, uh, for my number six, I've gone for Claudio Ranieri at Leicester. I've got uh, my number five, and I was actually dreading talking about him, so I'm glad you put him lower. <laughs> oh, okay. So, obviously, we know Leicester won the Premier League with Ranieri at the helm. He was brought in after Pearson's departure, which we've just talked about. And... <laughs> The objective was very much to try and fight off relegation, survive in the Premier League. And he worked a miracle that season with Leicester winning the title. Arguably the, the biggest miracle in football management history to win the title with that squad. One year later, it was a very different story. And uh, in February, Leicester found themselves one point above the relegation zone with 13 games remaining. And the Leicester owners made the difficult decision to sack Ranieri. So a man that uh, even the board stated in their farewell statement that um, he was without question the most successful manager in the history of the club. But because their status in the Premier League was under threat, they felt they had no choice but to take action. But if you look at what Ranieri achieved and the fact that he was he was brought in to fight off relegation, which is what he was trying to do anyway, I think it's very harsh given the tools he had to work with uh, and that squad that he inherited. He had some great players. Uh, Kante had been sold, though. Uh, he didn't have a choice on that. And Leicester should have been doing better than they were. But I think if he was given time, he would have turned it around. It was a tough one. There was a lot of division amongst Leicester fans on that. A little bit heartless, and definitely it felt harsh. Am I right in saying that you you also the game before he got sacked, you were in the Champions League, and didn't you draw away at Seville? Uh, yes, we drew. I can't remember if it was a draw or a defeat, but um, it was either two one or one one. Yeah, get away at Seville, yeah. and then you put in a much better performance. Everyone was saying it was a much more more of the old, as they classed in brackets, the old Leicester sort of performance with that. I didn't know whether it was because at that point he knew he was gone and just sort of gave his swan song. I couldn't tell, yeah. But uh, I do remember that um, the thinking was that he was gone before that game had been played. The decision oh, really? was already taken yeah. and there were things going on in the background before that match started. Yeah, it must have been very sad, though, as being a, being a Leicester fan for that to happen so soon after him winning the title as well, sort of six months later. You... Absolutely. Um, something that was so special and it really, 
it just felt so heartless to get rid of him. And after the team played with so much heart and passion, because they didn't win it on ability, they won it by <laughs> working working so hard and working for the manager. And also what you f- people forget is uh, how much charm that Ranieri brought to every single interview that season. And, and there were so many. And it was such a joy to listen to as a Leicester fan. And what he brought to the club was uh, amazing, really. And then to sack him was, yeah, quite cold. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was it was cold, and I agree with what you said about the the Leicester owners um, and that had to act. And I think they they waited till February. I think they probably waited as long as they could, to be honest. I think it was like they don't want to. I don't want to sack you, but we're in a relegation battle and we can't go down on the situation. Yeah. And I think if I'm right, had his final game for Leicester in the Premiership. I think they lost, drew. I'm not sure, but um, if Palace, Hull and Sunderland had all won that weekend, Leicester would have been bottom of the table. Yeah. I, I don't think... At, at the end of the day, you take sentiments out of it. You just think, well, you know, Leicester can't be that team that goes from winning the title to um, getting relegated. Totally totally agree and totally get that. But And uh, uh, again, I don't think anyone, anyone... No, no one expected Leicester to do it again. No one expected Leicester to probably even finish top four. Um, he he was my number five. I'm, I'm gonna, if you don't mind, Chris, I'll skip ahead because I kind of put his second at Leicester and his second at Chelsea as one big lump. No, no, that's fine because my five is Nigel Atkins, and we've done that. Oh, okay, so that's um, perfect. I actually probably would have had. Ranieri at Leicester a bit lower down but brought him to the middle of my list is what he did at Chelsea and why I think that was harsh as well Um, because when he took over Chelsea they didn't have mega millions that they have now Um, and his task was to basically de-age the squad and he did that he brought in Lampard um, Petit Zenden Gallas and then he brought in like young talents like Terry and Huth and Carlton Cole and then Abramovich arrived and everyone thought his job was under threat but he was given 120 million to spend on Mutu, Crespo, Duff, and they achieved their best finish for 49 years, coming second to Arsenal's Invincibles. And they got to the semi-finals of the Champions League, beating Arsenal along the way. And they broke club records for fewest goals conceded and highest number of points. And there was this real sense that it was building towards something. Um, and well, it was, but just not with Ranieri, because Abramovich decided had enough of him and brought in Mourinho. But I, I just felt that, you know, given Ranieri another season at Chelsea, he might have actually won some silverware. Abramovich had very high expectations, didn't he? Win or you get sacked. And like we've seen with the people we put in, didn't like losing much. So as soon as he got that, then there you go, mate, you're off. You said that Chelsea team didn't have millions. How were they paying Winston Bogard? I'm not going to talk about Winston Bogard. <laughs> It's probably why they're in financial trouble to start with. <laughs> okay, so Chris, your five was Atkins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Dan, back to you then, Dan, for number five. My number five, I've gone for Mark Poulton. He was the manager of Chichester City. <laughs> I think I read about this very late today when I was just double checking some facts. <laughs> So this was in um, October 2010, and uh, they were playing a, a Sussex Charity Cup match against their local rivals, Red Hill. And then during the match, when they were 1-0 up, and sorry, they were 2-1 up, 
and his phone rang and it was Gary Walker, one of the club's directors. So he thought he'd better answer it. And then Gary Walker proceeded to tell him that he's sorry to interrupt, but he's sacked. <laughs> so he, got sacked. he got sacked during a game when they were winning. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I thought you were number one. Come on, you can't say <laughs> Um, Did he give any reasons for that? Or? Uh, well, kind of. Um, so he decided that he, out of respect for the players, he'd just carry on and he'd continue to be the manager throughout the game. Uh, unfortunately, they actually went on to lose 4-2. And one of their players um, was a young striker who had to be taken to hospital with a broken jaw, cheekbone, nose and eye socket. So um, it was just all around a bit of a terrible day. Um, but after the game, Mark Porton said that there'd been a, a lot of uh, in-house fighting, unprofessional, and it was a shambolic organisation, one of the most shambolic he's ever been involved with. So the people that were inter- that weren't interested in the, in the good of the club, only in their own personal wars, and he felt that he fell victim to that. But even so, to be sacked during the middle of a game is pretty harsh. Right, my number four was uh, Mr. Gary Rowett. So we've already spoke about him. Back to me then. Um, we're back to someone who's been mentioned previously, but I've gone with Nigel Pearson at Watford. Mm. I've put that as number two. Okay. He's my number one. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's save that one because I haven't got much on it, to be honest. Dan, what's your number four? Mine was Leroy Rosinha. Right then, back to you, Chris. Right then, we'll go with um, Sammy Allardyce at Blackburn. You got that one? He was uh, he was on my list till about ten minutes prior to this podcast. I took him off. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's a um, good pick. It is a good pick. His time at Blackburn. Um, yeah, so he joined December two thousand eight. He led Blackburn on to fifteenth that season. Next year, getting to the Corning Cup semi-final and a 10th place finish um, he lost 3 out of 5 games and that left them 13th in a bit of a precarious position but still 5 points of a relegation his last game was a loss um, against Bolton that was 2-1 if they actually managed to win that and the results went their way they would have even made it into the top 6 um, but as part of the statement, they were, he was sacked as wider plans and ambitions for the club. He was then replaced by um, <laughs> Steve Keane, if you remember that guy. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, yeah so under the the ownership of the, was it the Toki, uh, Turkey? Venkis Vink, Chicken. Venkis Chicken, sign up, which it just sounded like an absolute shambles. I remember that when they said that they're so ambitious and they want to make a huge transfer sum available for the manager to spend and offered up £12 million. Yeah. They talked about buying Messi and with £12 million. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a massive like managerial change to an international manager and bought in Steve Keane. I mean, it's just, it's laughable really, isn't it? The, the, the treatment that guy got. Okay, so my number three uh, was Chris Hewton at Newcastle. Snap. My number, yeah, my number two. So we might as well go go with it now. I think. So he, he took over from Shearer in uh, two thousand nine when Newcastle got relegated, um, and it was only supposed to be temporary. 
And he did such a good job and he was so popular with the fans and the players that he was appointed full-time manager. And he won the championship at Akanta, losing only four games. And he instilled this sort of um, sense of harmony and stability back into Newcastle. And then on their return to top flight, he won five out of 16 games um, at the time of his sacking, including thrashing rival Sunderland 5-1 and Aston Villa 6-0. Um, and then they were 11th when he was sacked and um, he was replaced by um, a certain someone called Alan Pardew. Yeah. And it just made no sense whatsoever at the time. Because <laughs> he's done such a good job for them. I, th- I think the main thing with that as well is that he, he spent 20 years at the club in all capacities as well. Sort of from youth level, as in um, coaching badges, all the way up to the top. And I just think it, it didn't sit right with a lot of the fans because obviously he's a massive fan's favourite. It didn't sit right with the players either. I've got some quotes here. Uh, Newcastle captain at the time, Kevin Nolan. We were all upset that Chris is going. He helped a lot of the lads here with their careers and he was a coach when he was a coach and when he was the manager. It goes without saying that we're all shocked by the announcement. We've not had the greatest run recently, but we're halfway at the table and he was very confident that we could do well and he spoke about how much he believed in us. Uh, Sol Campbell said the players admired him and liked him and they won't be happy that he's gone like this. It makes no sense. Here is a guy that has done an unbelievable job. He got the club back into the Premier League and any manager would have been rewarded for that with a new contract, but Chris wasn't. The players are sure to be asking themselves what is going on. That's only natural. When we left training this morning, none of the players had a clue what was coming. Yes, it has come as a shock and it will affect the dressing room. There's no doubt about that. I thought that was a very hard sacking, in my opinion. Yeah, it felt like a real injustice. All right, so are we on to Dan's um, number three? No, that was my number three. Oh, yeah, of course it was. Chris, then, your number two, which was... Mr. Houston. Oh, back to me, then. <laughs> Uh, so my number two, I've gone Carlo Ancelotti at Chelsea. Oh, OK. Um, so he won Chelsea's first domestic double in his first season, uh, set scoring records along the way. Uh, first team at the time to score 100-plus goals since Spurs in the 60s. He had a few dodgy results um, the following season and that put them into fifth come January. Then they signed Torres and David Luiz. And that helped them push on and they finished second just behind Manchester United. He was then sacked less than two hours after the final game of the season, which they lost to Everton. Um, but his record at Chelsea was 109 managed, 67 won, 20 draws, 22 losses. And his win rate was, at the time, uh, or at, at least till very recently, third behind Fergie and uh, Jose. I think Pepe and Conte have gone on since I just, again, a typical Chelsea. He didn't do anything wrong just because he finished the season with no silverware. He was crucially um, yeah. sacked for it. Yeah. So. It's harsh, just the way that Abramovich chooses to run the club, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Lampard doesn't get his marching orders if he doesn't do anything this season. Uh, Dan, you're number two then. So number two, I've gone for Nigel Pearson at Watford. It happened quite recently, as we all know where Pearson was brought into Watford and he turned their fortunes around. It looked at one stage like they were going to well and truly get out of trouble at the bottom of the league when he was going to lead them to safety. But after the lockdown, they struggled a little bit to pick up points and they were in the relegation zone. And apparently there was a big bust up between Pearson and the owner with two games remaining in the season against Man City and Arsenal. 
And with Watford in a very precarious position, the owners still decided to pull the trigger, sack Pearson with no other manager lined up, put Hayden Mullins, the assistant, in charge. Now, I don't know if you remember Hayden Mullins' performance the last time he was the caretaker manager, but he is completely inept at managing a Premier League football team. He is not fit for the role, and he gave them very little chance of succeeding. So for the owner to make that decision... I didn't think it was harsh on the manager. I thought I put this at number two because I thought it was incredibly harsh on the fans to make that decision. It's reckless. I think I it's unforgivable. What, what they were—I don't get what they were trying to achieve by sacking manager two games to go. It makes no sense. Admittedly, Pearson probably would have lost both those games anyway, but it just demoralised the whole club. I—I I thought, to be honest, um, he organised. He got some organisation into the club, didn't he? When he came in, he made a massive difference from when Flores was in charge. He got, you know, he got the players working really well. Like I said, he probably wouldn't have done anything, but he would have given them more of a fight, I think, than um, than Mullins would than Mullins did. To be honest, mm-hmm. they did manage to beat Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, comfortably so, as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think they would have well, beaten Arsenal, if I'm honest, with Pearson at the helm. Uh, Pearson's uh, is tactically astute. He's a fighter. He motivates players. I think that he gave them the best chance of surviving. I think they could have got some points. So yeah, that's my number one. Have we had your number one? We have had your number one, haven't we, Dan? Yeah, Gus Poirier. Okay, so my number one is Sir Bobby Robson at Newcastle. Okay. So in his first season in charge, he won fourteen games out of thirty-two. Uh, he led them to fourth in. 0102 and third the year after, meaning two seasons of uh, consecutive Champions League football. And then in 0304, he led them to the UEFA Cup semis and fifth, just a few points off Champions League. Start of the 04 season, he lasted four matches. Uh, he drew two and lost two. Uh, that was when Freddie Shepard decided he'd had enough and then sacked him, despite the fact that I think his contract was due to expire at the end of that season anyway. Um, the other strange thing was, is they sacked him because they wanted Graham Souness in charge, who was on the verge of getting sacked at Blackburn himself. So rather than wait for Souness to get sacked at Blackburn, they actually paid compensation to Blackburn. And um, John Carver, who was uh, Robson's assistant, he came out and said that when Souness came in, he was just one of the most arrogant men he's ever met. And it just kept going on about when he placed a flag for Galatasaray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we all know the story. It's been mentioned a few times. Um, and then as soon as she turned around to Carl and said, look, I'm in charge now. Uh, I'll do things my way. Um, better find yourself a new job. And I just thought, for, for someone of Bobby Robson, who we all know is a fantastic manager, and again, done absolutely nothing wrong with Newcastle. He's gotten to places that they can only dream of, really, in, back in the late 90s. The sacking for someone like Graham Souness, who's not got the best record in Premiership football, or in any football, to be honest, as manager, it, it didn't sit right with me or most of Newcastle. So that is why he's at number one for me. That's fair enough, mate. Yeah, that's a really good pick. I like that. A sentimental one. Yeah. He's loved that's by the fans there, isn't he? But, I mean, look, you can't even blame this on Mike Ashley because he wasn't there at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a mate who's a massive Newcastle fan and he said, um, I think when someone scored a goal, he goes, I'm going to give him a chocolate bar now he scored that goal. 
I think it's just a bit, it's like your granddad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But no, no, that's a good pick, that is. Um, I do have a special mention. I don't know if anyone else has got one. Yeah, go for it, mate. One I thought was so obscure, although perhaps after some of Dan's picks, less so. <laughs> Rod Stringer at Chelmsford City. Uh, they play in the National League South. He was in charge for three and a half seasons until February of 2020. Um, it took over in 2016 and he led Chelmsford to the National League South playoff final, losing to Ebbs Fleet before reaching the semis twice more. Uh, lifting, he lifted the, the Essex Senior Cup and reached the FA Cup first round. He won 51% of his 194 games in charge. And this this current season that he got sacked in, Chelmsford were seventh and they were on a streak of only one loss in 12 and just outside the playoffs. And they were still in the last 16 of the FA Trophy and they were in the quarterfinals of the Essex Senior Cup. Uh, the chairman, who'd been there since 2018, felt this season wasn't the high standard of following ones and had concerns following their FA Cup exit to Corinthian casuals back in September. So he basically waited until February to sack him. That's a little rubbish, that is. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who Corinthian casuals are, but I've never, I've never heard of them. Perhaps it was a shock result, but it just seemed like an excuse to get rid of him. Definitely. That's, not, that's, that's beyond harsh that's just absurd but when I was doing the list I thought that's too obscure I won't put it in and then Dan started talking about Chichester or something <laughs> 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 yeah. on the, I was um, I was toying with putting on but then I decided I didn't really want to get into it, it was uh, Sam Allardyce at England yes I had that on my list but I didn't <laughs> want to get in I've got, I've got my head into too much controversial stuff already. I don't. Yeah, it's gonna have its own podcast. That one, because uh, I because I don't I don't see what he's done wrong. If I'm honest, there's nothing conclusively incriminating that I've seen. No, it's the FA agenda, isn't it, mate? He wasn't right. He didn't he didn't make the right fit for the job. It's a bit like why probably Harry Redknapp was never appointed England manager. Exactly. Wasn't the right face. Southgate's the yes man. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That's another podcast. Don't get me started on Southgate because that's another podcast in itself. <laughs> Any more there, Dan? Um, yeah, it's it's technically not a sack in this one, but um, one I was going to mention was uh, Slavisa Jakanovic. Another another excuse to drive the knife in at the Watford owners. Yeah. <laughs> he got Watford promoted in 2015, and his contract was due to end, and he was offered a contract by the Watford owners. And Jukanovic said, I felt like I was probably being offered half of what the lowest paid manager in the Premier League was earning. So he wow. didn't sign with Watford. Uh, Watford let him go, didn't improve the offer. And then they got someone else instead. I just thought that's, that's not the way to do business. It's very harsh on a manager. Fair enough. Um, my two, well, there's actually three. Um, Big Sam was one. But we don't want to go into that. I went Kika Flores at Watford first time round. But yeah. to be honest, I couldn't really find any relevant information for that and why he actually left. And I've actually got one, if that's all right, gone from Syria. I know it's yeah. one. But Mielsa, um, Marcelo Bielsa, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. 
he lasted um, at Lazio for two days, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Um, Especially as he'd survived at Leeds for about three years. Well, he only just signed the, the extension, didn't he? Like a couple of days before the Liverpool game. Yeah, but Leeds were bad well, as well. Season, Chelsea yeah. at one point. Yeah, yeah. We're going to start half-time by talking about Gus because it's been a, a slightly odd first 45 minutes for those of us in the studio and particularly for Gus because after three and a half years as Brighton manager, whilst we've been on air this evening, Gus has been told that his contract has been terminated with Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. And you found out, Gus, by the production team printing the statement off and me handing it to you. Well, I think, I think BBC got a great story, no? For, for, for forever, really. Um, because the manager uh, getting the information that is, is being uh, released from his employment by the BBC uh, during the time of a program is quite surprising. Uh, I still have no communication, no text, no email. I didn't receive anything in my phone. So I think it's going to be a story that is going to be there. Probably I'm the first one to be in this position as well. Right then, Chris, regalos with the latest on Warnock. Yes, well... Mr. Warnock watch then. I'll start off with the results that he's had. Unfortunately, he's lost against Watford, 1-0. They lost it in the League Cup as well, at home to Barnsley. But that's a much-changed team, a bit of a mixed bag of youth and experience. But they got a good draw against Bournemouth, um, equalising from Salanke opening the scoring for Bournemouth. And Marcus Brown has then opened his account. Um, at Middlesbrough with an equaliser for that. So they're on one point after two games. But more importantly, Sir Neil has got COVID, hasn't he? Unbelievable. So he's been, um, unfortunately, isolating. He's been doing meetings via Zoom and um, has been regularly on the phone during the games to the assistants and has been watching it (laughs) back down in Cornwall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I think that's probably the furthest distance a manager's ever been away from the club where they're meant to be managing the match. But from what I've heard, he's now come off that 10-day isolation period and can start um, managing again. Their inner fixtures they've got don't look too bad. They've got QPR away, Barnsley at home, Reading. They've had a good start this season. Uh, Bristol City away, Cardiff away, Coventry away. Quite a lot of, obviously, away games there, but with no fans, I don't know whether that will have a much of a difference for the, <laughs> for the players. Um, but one thing is they've, they've um, had this signing of um, um, Shuki Akpom. He used to play for Arsenal. Um, they obviously, you thought that they're a bit short in up front, which I probably could agree with. And he actually moved from uh, um, POAK Salonica who were actually in the Champions League qualifiers to come there. So a bit of a sort of a couple of uh, leaps down for them. So hopefully we'll start banging in some uh, goals for them. I haven't got any quotes due to him being in isolation. I did spot one quote uh, in the build-up to the the Watford game. 
Uh, Warnock said he saw that Watford had 11 players out injured. Warnock said, I've got 11 players. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, nothing much really, like we said, because he's been in isolation due to this COVID. So so hopefully I'll be able to give you more on the next episode. Well, thanks for that, Chris. Have we got any socials this week? We have, well, obviously we've been doing this fantasy league, haven't we? And I've got a few shout-outs to make for this. And obviously a quick rundown on how we, we've got on in week one and two. Um, first week, Ant did quite well. He was in the top six. We've got 50 players on our league now. Uh-huh. And you were riding high in the top six. I think I was just about eighth or ninth and Dan was mid-table. I think we'll just class it as that. Mm. <laughs> uh, top of that, the top, top of the league at the time was um, Deportino Las Coruña, and that was uh, run by Adam Porter. Um, unfortunately, week, week two, we haven't got done very well, lads. We need to up our game. <laughs> there's a lot of goals this week I know and I think we've been a bit pasted I'll be honest um, out of the three of us Ant's top he's in 16th place in our league on uh, 123 points on 29th 111 and Dan is uh, 32nd on 107 Right. Um, top of the table is a team called Bad Boys, ran by uh, Katada Ahmed. He's on 191 points. Wow. He got That's 111 impressive. points last last week. He's comfortably with the highest. Yeah, so we need to roll our sleeves up here, lads, and uh, making a mockery of us a bit. Yeah, well, I've, I've been panicking so much that I've actually played my wild card this week. <laughs> Already. Oh, that's not like you, mate. There's a lot of goals, though, like I said. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. Um, so we just have to keep our eyes peeled on that one. Um, nothing much else, barring that I've already picked one thing for our next subject, for next our next podcast, and that is um, greatest second legged European Cup, Champions Cup, Champions League, UEFA Cup, or Europa League comebacks. So, if anyone's got any any of their top three or, f- or top five, then just uh, please email us at var at the bar twenty twenty at gmail Whack it onto our Twitter at BAR at the bar one or Facebook us at BAR at the bar. Uh, that's really about it, I think. So please, if you've got any lists that you disagree with anything, like for example, my Nigel Pearson at Leicester or, or Dan's Chittister town guy, <laughs> then please again just let us know via one of these links and we'll reply back. Or if you've got any ideas for any other subjects you want us to do, then please let us know. I do. I do. I want to give a shout out to my friend Adam, who um, provided us with some valuable feedback last week. Uh, and one of the things he said was, 
the best list we've done for interest was the best comebacks. And the best list we've done for debate was players outside the top six and uh, best defenders. Okay. Which are, they're actually some of my favourite lists that we've done as well. Um, so, yeah, I thought I'd give them a shout out as well. Uh, feedback is always welcome from any of our listeners. Exactly. Good or bad. Yeah. All right, then. Have you got your brain cells on? Go on, then. Yeah, bring it on. Okay, there are 15 questions. So, question number one. Which former Stoke midfielder's son made his debut this week for Manchester City? Who are we Oh, Chris just pipped down there. One nil to Chris. What was the name of Sunderland Stadium before the Stadium of Light? Broke apart. Broke apart. Oh, Dan just got in there. Who are the only two Spanish managers to win the League Cup? Rafa Benitez? No. Guardiola? Yeah. Emery? No. Roberto Martinez? No. League Cup, not FA Cup. Mm Mm-hmm. Any clues for us, Anne? Um, his predecessor has been mentioned tonight. He wasn't a very uh, he wasn't a very good manager at the club that he was at. <laughs> he left him in a little dire state. Um, Pochettino? No, no, he's Argentine. <laughs> <laughs> um, right club. Ramos. Yes. Oh, it's one apiece. Point. Two all. Two all. Okay. Two all. Okay. Um, okay, so this is a gamble question. So I hope you bring your A game again, Chris, because I'm not only rolling <laughs> over for Dan this week. <laughs> Eight players have won the number nine shirt for Manchester United in the Premiership. How many can you name? Chris got the last point, so Dan, you can go first. Four. Any advances on four, Chris? Go five. You can name them, Chris. <laughs> Come on, Anthony, Chris. Anthony Marshall. Yep. Andy Cole. Yep. Dimitri Berbatov. Yep. Two more. Brian McClare. Bloody hell, yes. <laughs> you deserve a point just for that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, God. Um, no, can't remember. Oh, Chris. Hey, Dan, can you get one for the win? All right, I'll try. Was it Rude Van Nistelrooy? No. Oh. He's 10, man. So, you could have had Radamel Falcao, oh, yeah. Louis Saha, Romelu Lukaku, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Oh, my God. 
Not not too many well known games. <laughs> uh, no points that time. Okay, another gamble question. Um, yeah. I've got a few gamble questions tonight, actually. Yeah. <laughs> 15 players have worn the number nine shirt for Chelsea. How many can you name? I'll start with Chris. Go with four to start off with. I'll go five. Okay. Mm, go on then, Dan. I'll go with five of you on that one. Torres? Yep. Drogba? No. Chris, can you name one for the win? Kesman. Yes, well done. Point to Chris. So you could have had Tony Cascarino, Mark Stein, Gianluca Viali, Chris Sutton, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Kesman, Crespo, Khalid Boularouz, the centre-back, that was number nine. (laughs) Steve Sidwell, Franco DeSanto, Torres, Falcao again, Morata, Higuain, and Tammy Abraham. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Good mix. That's the end of the shirt numbers, Gambles, don't worry. Thank God. (laughs) So, question number six. 18 players have played in the Premiership for Spurs and Newcastle. How many can you name? Chris, start. Okay. I'll go with three. I'll go four. Any advances, Chris? I'll go and then I'll, I'll go at five. I'll go six. Go on then, Dan. Leave that for you, mate. <laughs> All right. Saul Campbell. Yeah. Danny Rose. Yeah. Jermaine Genus. Yeah. Stephen Kelly. No. Yes, can you name one? Can I name one? Um, I'm going to go Colin Calderwood. Oh, no. Oh. Uh, back to Dan. Can you redeem yourself? Um, Les Ferdinand. Yes, for well done. Three all. Totally forgot about Sir Les. So the players you could have had: Jonathan Woodgate, Scott Parker, Stephen Carr, uh, Gary Brady, Sol Campbell, Les Ferdinand, David Ginola, Raul Fox, Louis Saha, Jermaine Genus, Wayne Routledge, Kevin Scott, Danny Rose, um, Basong, Sissoko, Townsend, Bentaleb, and Yedlin. We really don't like Louis Saha, do we, in this? No. Surprised <laughs> <laughs> he didn't play for Chelsea at some point. <laughs> okay. So it's three all. 
19 goalkeepers have made appearances for Arsenal since 1992. How many can you name? Uh, Dan, start. Six. 19 players. 19 goalkeepers. Seven. Eight. <laughs> Go on, Dan. All right, David Seaman. Yeah. Martinez. Yeah. Leno. Yeah. Jens Lehmann. Yeah. Richard Wright. Yeah. John Lukic. Yeah. Stuart Taylor. Uh, yeah. One more. Peter Check. Yeah. <laughs> so you could have had Leno, Martinez, Czech, Ospina, Szczesny, Fabianski, Manone, Amunia, Lehman, Poom, Seaman, Taylor, Shaban, Wright, Manninger, Lukic, Lee Harper, Bartram, and Alan Miller. Lukic came from the blue there, mate. Well done with that one. Yeah, that was a good one, Lukic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last gamble question. How many of the 22 clubs that Steve Claridge has played for can you name? Um... Chris. That's, that's a great one, that is. Just, just name us a club. Four. How many did you say there are? 22? 22. We've probably managed five. I'll go six. Go on, Chris. <laughs> Leicester. Yes. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Birmingham. Yes. Portsmouth? Yes. Cambridge? Uh, yes. Blackburn? Uh, no. <laughs> Dan? Millwall? Yes. Yeah. Unlucky, Chris. Five, three. Uh, he's played for Fareham Town, Bournemouth, Weymouth, Crystal Palace, Aldershot, Cambridge, Luton, Birmingham, Leicester, Portsmouth, Wolves, Millwall, Brighton, Brentford, Wickham, Gillingham, Bradford, Walsall, Worthing, Harrowborough, Gosport, and Salisbury. Wow. wow. And I just felt like that guy off the, the news that reads the football results out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, uh, question number nine. Who's the odd one out? Mike England, Alan Brazil, Stephen Ireland, Joe Jordan or Jason Scotland? The first one. <laughs> what was it? Mike England? Yeah. No. Alan Brazil? No. Joe jo- Jordan? No. I don't know what the connection is. Sorry. Last shot saloon. 
Who's the odd one out? Okay. I'll tell you. Stephen Ireland's the odd one out because he's the only one to play for the right country. Mike England played for Wales. Alan Brazil and Joe Jordan played for Scotland. And um, Jason Scotland played for Trinidad and Tobago. That's a good one. Still 5-3. One side in the 2018-19 Premiership season became the first team not to draw a single away game in the Premier League. Who was it? Watford? No. Man City? No. Fulham? Nope. Man United? No. Aston Villa? No. Go on, give us a clue, Ant. You, you're too low down the league. Man City? No. Liverpool? No. They got about three teams left, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Arsenal? No. No. Tottenham. Well done, Chris. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done process of elimination yeah <laughs> that's a great stat that is uh, question 11 which English side's nickname is the chair boys Grimsby no I don't know uh, Mansfield no. Last guess. Um, Spender. No. Wickham Wanderers. Oh. Fair enough. I don't know why they're called that. <laughs> I check it wasn't choir boys, but it is chair boys. <laughs> Which uh, English size nickname is the Cod Army? The South Grimsby. No, I would have said Grimsby to be fair. Morecambe. No. Bristol Rovers. No. They've got a very well-known manager, not always for the right reasons. This quiz is beating us. (laughs) Yeah, big time. I thought some of these were quite easy. Started off well. Um, Colchester? No. No, I'm going to have to give up on that. Yeah, I can't remember. Fleetwood? Oh, Jerry Barton. I'll make the quiz a bit easier next time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so three questions left and it's 5-4 to Dan. So, this player has played for Bayern Munich, Milan, Middlesbrough, Liverpool, Spurs. Christian Z. Yeah, well done, Dan. Come on, Chris, you've got two left to level it now. Yeah, half the points. So, this player has played for Crystal Palace, Birmingham, Crystal Palace again, Coventry. Sheffield Wednesday, MK Dons on loan, Brentford on loan, 
Colchester, Long Eaton, and Exeter. Clinton Morrison? Yeah, well done, Dan. Oh, good, mate. Just so you can save face, Chris, last question. This person has managed the following teams. Okay. Fortuna Cologne, FC Cologne, Zerez, Shakhtar Donetsk, Levante, Getafe, Real Madrid, Besiktas, Malaga, and Daifang Yifang. Um, Real Madrid. Let's just say there's a reason I've put this one in. I think I might get it. <laughs> I, want, I want Chris to get it. <laughs> Go on, you say it, mate. I'm not going to go in many years. I, I don't know the answer, but is it Bernd Schuster? It is. He's <laughs> oh, <laughs> a manager as well. I have to squeeze him in somehow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wicked. <laughs> you have to put him in that him or Stanley Matthews. <laughs> so it ends 8 4. 8 4. Well done. Good questions there, and I think I still would have been guessing some of them now. Yeah, I'll uh, yeah. try next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult because I actually knew the answers for some of them. Yeah, yeah that's the like, thing. The I just didn't know. I just didn't know quite a few of them. Not, I'm not a very good with <laughs> shirt numbers. <laughs> so that concludes uh, this episode of VAR at the bar, or on the couch, or wherever we're calling it these days. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya. Podcast Network.